41 through 44. It says, He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then the angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. As real as this is, as real as this moment is, as as sorrowful as Jesus is, I want you to notice when we look at John chapter 17, very little of Jesus' prayer was about himself. Or what he was going through. The majority of his prayer, it reflected on those he was ministering to and his purpose in which he was sent and those who would choose to follow him in the future. Isn't our approach to God in anguish so much different than Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but, but whether it's an approach to God and just asking him to fix our problems or we just seek to just dump all our emotions on God... When we see Jesus at his lowest emotional point, it's still focused on who he came for. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that even on his darkest days on earth, he's praying for you? He's praying for you. He has you in mind. And there is a lot more that Jesus covers in this prayer, and we couldn't, we couldn't possibly do a verse-by-verse reflection of everything that he says. So what we're going to do today is we are going to focus on his prayer for you. His prayer for you. So turn to John chapter 17, and we're going to start at verses 17 through 26. John 17, 17 through 26, it says... Make them holy by your truth. Everyone say holy. Holy. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. You are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Everyone say one. Okay. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Let's pray. Lord, when your son speaks, he speaks with purpose. And God, how we can get lost in thought, he doesn't. He has... He, he has arranged and aligned 
And he says perfectly what he wants to say. And God, I pray that as we read his words this morning, God, it will sear our hearts. And Lord, more than anything, any barriers or walls that we put up between us and you because of thoughts, because of self-entrampments, Father, anything that we have placed in between us and you, God, will be just torn down by your Spirit this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 17, Jesus specifically prays three things, three desires for his followers. And the first one is his desire for you to be holy. His desire for holiness. He says, make them holy by your truth in verse 17. Jesus' request is to make us holy by our truth or his truth. His truth, right? But yet, many of us, uh, we, we, we try to be made holy by our own truth, but you can only be made holy by His truth. And He goes on to say, teach them your word, which is truth. Now, this has been a very long series. Everyone saying, yeah, yep, it has. We started this in August. And if you remember that very first Sunday as we're covering John chapter 1 and we talk about verse 14, Jesus is referred to as God's word made flesh. Then in John chapter 14 verse 6, which we covered about a month and a half ago, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus spoke these things. And furthermore, he says, I give myself as a holy sacrifice so that they can be made holy by your truth. I want you to embrace what Jesus is saying here. And I realize it can be a little hard to understand what he's getting at. But our holiness is a state of being holy or in other words, set apart the way Jesus states it, the only way this can be accomplished is through Him. Amen? Amen. And what I've seen, I've seen this stark contrast between the world's attempt at holiness and the church's effort or sometimes lack thereof for holiness. Let's think about the world for just a second. The world's attempt at perfection is an interesting one because what is perfect for one person is clearly subjective and different for another. But the world celebrates milestones or changes in a person's life when a lot of effort, later, later, when a lot of effort is put in. For instance, I want you to think about the world for a minute. Take someone who celebrates milestones like weight loss as an example, or sobriety. And we know that those things are worth celebrating, and these things in and of itself, they are good things. But there is a hard work and effort to be able to achieve this, and oftentimes those things are traded from one kind of addiction for another. Now the church, the church has two different problems going on. There are people that have embraced Jesus for who he is, but they live in a constant state of self-loathing. They're always thinking about their past and what they've done and, and this distant connection they have between them and God. 
They're ashamed of past mistakes, yet they, they claim forgiveness and they've sought the blood of Jesus to cover them. And yet, for some reason in our minds, there is this barrier that that is not good enough and we are not walking free, we're not transformed by the truth. And then there's the other side. The other side, it, it, it leaves the transformational part of our lives completely up to God. There is no effort put in, and they're still entrenched in sin because they say things like, His grace is sufficient enough for me. But in reality, those people aren't living free because they haven't truly let go and repented of their sin. I want you to reflect on this question. How can you become holy if you don't allow the truth to change you. How can you become holy? When we as people should respond to his truth, that his sacrifice paid our penalty of sin, and we pursue him, and his truth is then what will make us holy. And then your effort, this is where your effort really comes in, that you begin to truly walk in repentance, being a hearer and doer of his word. The world would tell you, live your own truth. Well, everyone's truth is different. I want to know what the truth is. I want to follow the truth. And so through this process, if you do that, where you're walking in repentance, you're being a hearer and a doer, then you will discover that you will be sanctified through the process of His Holy Spirit, and you will live a holy life. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Modern-day teachers, they hate the idea of, of the holiness movement. Because a lot of the holiness movement, movement, it brought a lot of legalism, but the reality is this was Jesus' prayer for your life. As he is in anguish and in agony in the garden, this is his prayer for you. And so what we need to do, we need to embrace him. We don't need to embrace us being perfect. You're hearing me, right? We need to embrace him. And a life dedicated to following Jesus, it will keep you on the right path. What our issue really is, is placing our focus on the right things versus the wrong things. You know, we tend to focus on, on all the, the places where we tend to fall short. We can beat ourselves up over it. And if you do that, you will live in a state of constant shame. And it affects our relationships and can even make you question whether or not you should be in church. I want to be very clear. This in no way reveals the God that I know. This does not reveal the God that I know. In fact, God doesn't want you to live in a constant state of condemnation or conviction. But when you begin to walk in repentance, you walk in freedom. You walk in purpose. You walk in peace. You walk in life. Those are the things that begin to take place when you truly begin to walk in repentance. And that burden is lifted. Amen? That burden is gone. So you and I, we should be progressing in our faith. Everyone say progressing. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? How about you and I? We're honest with ourselves when we come into this place. Okay? We're honest with ourselves, and let's be challenged enough by the truth of Jesus that it doesn't just affect us emotionally, but we are compelled to change. I want you to hear me, because let me tell you, th this is something that, that all of us in our younger years, we, you blame the younger generation and you tend to forget how you were at that age, right? Because you were so emotional and you went by every emotional whim, it wasn't even funny. But here's the thing, here's the reality, where God's spirit can impact us and, and affect us emotionally, it's not about what emotionally takes place here at the altar, it's about what happens when you leave here. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to really wrap your mind around this for a second. He said in Matthew chapter 5 that if your eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out. He goes on to say it's better to live with only one eye than to experience eternal damnation. And when Jesus was dealing with the woman accused of adultery, when all her accusers dropped their stones and walked away, he turned to her and said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And here's my encouragement to you. Focus on Jesus, not your sin. Focus on Jesus, not your sin. If you wanted, you could place all your efforts on making every single decision perfectly. You could give it your best shot, but instead, if you seek to know Jesus, if you seek to know who he is and, and what he has accomplished, if you choose to get to know his character, you desire to be more like him, you will get to the place you need to be, and it's going to be a lot more satisfying than the life you're living right now. Hebrews 12, 1-2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates the per and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. So if Jesus is the perfecter of your faith, he should be your benchmark. He should be what your aim is. When my brother and I were young, it was Christmas time and my dad bought both of us compound bows. You guys know what compound bows are, right? It's for, for archery. And so... We then went and we decided to go to the practice range. And we went often with Verl, wherever Verl is. And uh, so, so we went to the practice range. And at first when I'm shooting this, the goal is I just want to hit the target. Anywhere on that target, I will hit it. So there's a bunch of hay bales back there. And then it's this big square white piece of paper. And I'm just trying to hit the white piece of paper. 
right? Then afterwards, after I get comfortable, I realize aiming at just the white piece of paper does not help me hit the bullseye. And so what I had to do is I had to narrow my focus. And so I started aiming for instead the, the actual target itself. And then that wasn't good enough. Eventually, there's this red center dot in it. And if you focus your eye right on that dot, you're going to see how accurate you really are because you're trying to aim as small as you possibly can. Listen to me, church. Don't aim to better yourself by what you think you know. Don't aim to better yourself based off someone else. Aim to be like Jesus Christ. The second thing Jesus prayed for us is a desire to be unified. That we would be unified. When we come into this place and we operate as the body of Christ, we should all be one. Which is challenging because we are very different people. Imagine if I was to take a questionnaire today and I wanted perfect harmony amongst the body at all times. And I start by, what is your preferred temperature in the room? <laughs> or I said, I want to select a color that is aesthetically pleasing to everyone here. Imagine if I said, what color is aesthetically pleasing to you? And, and everyone wrote their color down. And, uh, you know, for 75 people, there'd be 75 different answers. And uh, then I said, what is your favorite genre of music? What is your most hated genre? You would quickly see that in those things, you are probably more divided than unified. Amen. But Jesus, when he prays for us to all be one, he means unified in him and in purpose. Think about it. Think about it along these lines. If there is a business of 500 people and they can be unified if everyone understands the vision and purpose and are all working toward the same goal. 500 very different people, but all serving the same purpose. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You hearing that? We talked about holiness just a minute ago. Now we're learning how to be holy. By putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, so in this place... We don't focus on our differences, but we focus on what makes us united, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, we are all God's children, and no matter your background or your upbringing, that if you are a living, breathing creation of the living God, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you grew up, or because through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can come boldly to the throne of grace, and you can be a part of the family of the living God. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, they are the models of unity for us, and we can only achieve that by them, through them. 
We can only be one in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, and you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. When Jesus came down to this earth, every step of the way, every part of his ministry wasn't to bring glory to himself. Jesus was continually focused on glorifying the Father, glorifying the Father, glorifying the Father. He never sought it for himself. Everything he did was spurred out of his will for God. That's the same relationship they've always shared. Because if you look at God, the Father, Glorify the Son. Glorify the Son. Glorify the Son. In Genesis 1.26, at the very beginning of creation, God said, let us make man in our image. And that was God's sign of collective agreement. That unity, it never stops. It is in constant agreement. And Jesus states the importance of being unified in Christ so that the world will believe that you sent me. That was his statement of why it's so important to be unified. Because think about it for just a second. Because I believe that nothing makes a bigger mockery of Christ than a church divided. You guys hearing me? The world can say whatever they want to about God, but trust me, the real mockery is, is, is when it takes place here. When the church appears to be divided because it doesn't represent Him and it displays how little we truly follow Him. God sacrificed everything He had for you. Everything that He had in the pride and joy of His Son, the one in whom He had been unified with since the beginning of the cosmos, He made a way for you and I that not only are we set free of sin, but we get to share in His eternal glory. I want you to really capture this church. I want you to capture what it took as Hebrews chapter 2 says that He was made lower than the angels. This is part of the Godhead that was removed from all glory and honor and praise that He was receiving in heaven so that He could be sent down to earth for you. And here's why this should be so significant for us. Because of the last thing Jesus prays for you. The last part of his prayer was a desire for all his followers to share in his eternal glory. You see, with, with Jesus, it is not good enough that you just have a relationship with the Father. There are many people in my life who I would love to have as my neighbors. I'll have a sign come up for sale in a house next to me and think, oh, I'd love it if this person lived there. But there's one thing I can promise you about whoever I would wish would live close to me. I don't want them living under the same roof as me. Okay? Let's, let's be clear about that. As much as I might want them living next door, I don't want them living under the same roof. 
But listen to what Jesus says to God the Father in verse 24. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with where I am. Then they, they can see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. L listen to the beginning of this again because I, I fumbled it. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. The God of the universe is declaring this to his Father that it is not good enough to just live and die so that the Father can have a relationship with you. He is crying out, I want them to be with me for all of eternity. I need them to be next to me for all of eternity. And that is not just a blanket statement for humanity, but I want you to get this clear, that Jesus had you in mind when declaring that he wants you to be with him. Think of the desperation of the living God to be reconciled with humanity so much that he would take his own son out of eternal splendor where he was in glory and worshipped. He came down to the earth and became flesh. He experienced suffering and dying. He bore witness to sin. And then he became sin. He was desperate. To save you. Church, we can't stand back anymore. You and I, we can't be content with living mundane lives where we want to be pleasing to God, but yet we also want to be pleasing to ourselves. Because God himself, if you, if you see how God acted, he acted in total abandon for you. And now you and I experience the love of the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you'll learn that you want nothing more than to be where He is. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I'm telling you, God is inviting you to taste and see. He is inviting you to come forward. He is inviting you to see and know that He is good. He loves you and He gave up everything for you. And likewise, just out of sheer love and knowing who He is, we should give up everything for Him. And what I've learned through reading this passage in prayer and understanding who Jesus is, when you have that kind of relationship, when you understand what Jesus went through for you, to see Jesus glorified is going to be the best part. Many of us, when we come to Christ, we're just looking to save ourselves. But the more you understand what God was doing through him, the more you just want to see him glorified. And you want to be a part of that. Everything he went through for us, every ounce of glory and every moment of praise because he is worthy. Yeah, he took on the sin of the world. He took on all of mankind's sin. And church, I'm telling you, no one else could do it but him. And now we get to bask in glory because of him. And to bring this all back around to the beginning, you are never going to get there until you see the need for him. You're never going to get there. I want to be clear as our prayer altar team comes up. A 12-step program isn't going to save you. A new career opportunity 
isn't going to change your life. That new love interest isn't going to rescue you from a life of sin. Can you hear me? It is only by the saving grace of Jesus Christ that God can look down upon us and he can call us righteous. So whatever you are looking for to fix all your problems, I am telling you, it is found in surrender to God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And don't let your pride get in the way of the greatest salvation mankind has ever known. I understand sometimes in evaluating who we are, what we've done, what other people might think can be pretty intimidating. But I think you're forgetting every single one of us have been there. So it's not about what you've done anymore. It is about that saving blood of Jesus Christ so that sin no longer holds captive over your life. I want you to bow your heads. Father God, we welcome your spirit in this place. Lord, to openly investigate our lives. God, that we might leave everything at the altar. That, Lord, we know there is nothing holding us back from running to you, God, that we have stripped off every weight and we have put on that new clothing of Jesus Christ and we can walk in righteousness, walk in freedom, and, Lord, experience your glory. But, God, we cannot get there without you and that work that your son did on the cross. So God, I want to pray for every person in this room. God, I want to pray for those who who have sought out things that they felt would change their life that had nothing to do with you, God, and and how we can easily, so easily reflect on how it only lasted for a short while. And God, I pray that by, by just chance, Lord, that they will feel that tug from your spirit and know that, God, you're the only one that can set the course for us for eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that the lives in here will seek complete surrender to you. Place our focus solely on your Son, Jesus Christ. That, God, we won't make our matters so complicated. It is as simple, Lord, as pursuing you. God, I pray that, Lord, today we'll be a people that are in pursuit. I thank you, God. Let's all stand right now.
Let's sing that song. I speak Jesus.